0: High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic.
1: Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Talking Catholic. This is the Talking Catholic co-host, Mary McCusker, and also the marketing coordinator for Catholic Charities, Diocese of Camden. And I'm so excited today because our guest today is a dear friend of Catholic Charities, and... He's somebody who was on the podcast before, and I was thinking on the way here that he reminds me of Shrek, because in Shrek, not looks-wise, but in Shrek, uh, he said something like, ogres are onions, they have layers, and this is what this guest today reminds me of. Every time I talk to him, there's like a new layer that peels off, and there's something so interesting that I learn, but I'll introduce him in a moment. I'm also joined by Mike Walsh, who is... Who's laughing right now? How are you, Mike?
2: <laughs> I'm fine. I, I, you know, you had talked about the fact that you had this intro in your head before we, uh, before we recorded. The very last
1: like, minute intro, but it dawned on me. I'm like, there's a lot of uh, layers to our I'm guest.
2: Well, I've, I've never, I've never been that close to him to think of him as oniony, but I, I love that <laughs> reference. That's one of actually, I use that reference all the time. Uh, I, I often will refer to things as a many layered onion. And, yeah, uh, I'm you glad have said to, that. That's right. I am glad to see that our guest today. Because, uh, you know, we, we, this is a 54-minute podcast. Uh, I want to make sure that we have lots of layers to delve into when uh, when we're talking to them. Yes. But, uh, but anyway, so how are you doing, Mary?
1: I'm all right. That's good to we're hear. We're in the midst of a heat wave, which I'm not too thrilled no, about. I, I hate heat waves. I'm constantly sweating and, you yeah, know, but other boat. than that, I'm hanging in there. Well, that's good. Still working from home, except for right now. We're well, socially for, distant apart for another podcast. Yes, but.
2: yes, it has been nice. Uh, even though we can't be in the vault, even though we're vault adjacent, I do appreciate the fact that I'm at least able to be in the presence of others to record uh, the podcast. The Zoom is fine for uh, for, for you know for emergencies, yeah. and quarantine. But if you can uh, you can be together, I, I like to be together. So it's, it's been nice. I'm so, get a
1: little sick of Zoom. To be honest, I liked it at first; it was convenient. But now it. I don't know. Well, it's I the, miss the in-person stuff.
2: Yeah, I'm the same way. I, to be completely truthful with yeah, you, I for as the as quarantine and social distancing goes for, it goes on and on and on, I miss Bars so much, I, and I'm not like a huge drinker or anything like that. But I, I miss the, I really do, really miss the the social aspect of our lives a little bit. So
1: do bit. I. That's why it has. And been you most, and me are both introverts too. So that's saying a lot. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, there's a, I have a sign on my wall that says uh, something that the lines of, um, you. Uh, Oh, I says, I love parties. And then the person goes, but you hate people. I was like, I know. Isn't it strange? <laughs> it's true. I'm not a huge people person, but I it's love true. being around groups of people. I like just seeing life and loudness yeah. and stuff like that. And we're, you know, we're starting to see that a little bit more often right. now. You know, the churches are open and people are going to church more yeah. often. and People are trying to get find other ways of getting together. And in, at least in the state of New Jersey, it appears we're, we're all doing it wisely, as opposed to maybe some other safety
1: states. Safety first. That's
2: right. Safety first. And, and you know, I, I am a believer. You know, I have a science background. I consider myself a science aficionado. So I. Huh. I sp- well,
1: wait till you hear our guest. <laughs> oh, no, I'm looking forward to it.
2: Um, the, uh, and you know me, like I read astrophysics books for, yeah. for leisure and stuff like that. So I totally get everything going on. And, and the reality of the situation is we're, we're in a predicament right now where you put on a mask, wash, you know, just don't be dumb. That's, yeah. that's all you have to do. Yeah. It's, it's for fairly simple precautions if to be able to congregate. it's not for you, it's for
1: everybody else.
2: Yeah, and I'm not, and I don't say that to be preachy. I say that to go, I want to go do stuff. And, uh, you know, I need everyone to kind of come with me on this journey. And, right. And take care of each other, because I, I, as much as I you know, may not want to speak to each of you individually, I do want to see you collectively. So, uh, and I want I want you guys to go out and have fun. And I, at my son's uh, his baseball team is playing tonight, as a matter of fact, finally. Oh, wow. So there, and they're all you know, it's socially distanced baseball, which is a sort of a new.
1: How does that thing? work on the plates or bases? or? Well, the, <laughs> the umpires
2: stay uh, 10 feet behind home plate, and you actually call balls and strikes from behind the pitcher's mound instead, so you're, you're sort of away from So the only time the kids are actually close to each other is when they're on base or when they're at bat, but even, but uh, most of them wearing masks. You you have the option oh. to wear a mask, kind of like Major League Baseball. You have the option to wear a mask or yeah. not wear a mask depending on your preference. the The fans are all spread out along the sides. Most of them wearing masks. They're together if they're in families. They they might be maskless, but they're sort of like, you know, cordoned off together. So it's I mean, everyone's trying to you know kind of make do with what they can, and nobody's really you know you know upset about it. It's new, but it's you know we're all getting used to it.
1: So I love hearing the different ways that different you know program sports um, this place you know their protocols for how are we going to make this work and stuff you don't even think of Yeah, baseball umpire 10 feet bat I mean it's just <laughs> uh, well, you figure that's
2: what the schools are trying to figure but they out they make right it now. work yeah, yeah.
1: so it, I, I mean if you look
2: at it I realize there's a lot of things not to like about the about COVID and everything that we're yeah. going going on with right now but the You know, the the person that I am who appreciates trying to figure things out, it's like it's like this is one great puzzle and we're just sort of trying to figure out how to make all these pieces fit in very unique ways. Um, and realizing that there is, we have to sort of hedge. I mean, a lot of people want to stay home. A lot of people want to get together. There's probably some ground in the middle that we're going to find. Right. Um, you know. But anyway, so I, I, I'm not. I'm not political about any of this stuff. I'm rather agnostic about it. Other than the, I'm reminded of uh, something that I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson say at one point, <laughs> um, which was essentially, uh, the universe you know in terms of space not necessarily in terms of you know creation uh the universe really doesn't care about us one iota yeah if if uh, a meteor or an asteroid or a comet comes crashing down on th- the earth the it's universe is me
1: into an existential crisis <clears throat> or if right the now sun
2: explodes or <laughs> any of these things happen it's uh, true. the you know the, the universe will continue on
1: same thing with the earth you know yeah. it doesn't doesn't care, so be yeah. kind to Mother Earth.
2: That's right, but <laughs> but that's where it's so important for us as the inhabitants of this Earth. Uh, particularly as spiritual people, and with our faith and you know our Christian faith, sure. you know we do need to like kind of look out for each other and think about things. And anyway, yeah. I apologize for that four-minute rant, everybody. <laughs> but I, I just had these sort of thoughts popping into my head over the last couple of days, yeah. and uh, I figured I'd express them here. I have a podcast; I'm going to talk. Anyway, but we have a far more learned person on our podcast today than I. So, yes. uh, who do we have with us today, Mary?
1: This, I'm so happy that. Uh, Vinny Mancuso is joining us. How are you, Vinny?
0: I'm great, Mary, thank you so much. And um, thank you for that Shrek comment at the beginning.
1: <laughs> it you... wasn't looks or smell, I swear. It was the <laughs> layer component. <laughs> well, when you when you
0: first said, I was a little taken aback, <laughs> but then I realized- I saw your face, I was like, what? So I listen to a lot of podcasts and listen to a lot of radio, and I've had this experience, maybe you guys have too, where you, you're used to this disembodied voice. Then when you see a picture, it's not what you expected, right. right? and so if all the listeners who are hearing my voice but haven't seen me just picture Shrek, if they ever see me, they'll maybe be like pleasantly surprised they be like, oh, he's not, not quite as smelly or scary as I expected. But a little the green. A little green. The polar opposite of yeah. Shrek. Yeah. That's right, no, that's right. No, that's a good place for when someone meets me, so they're right. expecting Shrek, they'll see me, they'll be that's like, okay, this is fine. That's what
1: they're picturing you. <laughs> So, Vinny, can you just give us a little, I mentioned earlier that you're a very dear friend at Catholic Charities, um, can you tell us a little, just, introduction, I know you're um, a member of Our Lady of Hope Parish, right? That's right, yep. And can you tell us a little bit about the work you do at Catholic Charities, because I don't, I assume some of our listeners had haven't heard the other podcasts that you were on, so
0: sure so i'm the coordinator for the english learning center at catholic charities and the diocese of camden and so the english learning center it's a classroom where according to our mission statement uh, we try to help our students gain the confidence knowledge and learning strategies they'll need to read write and speak the english language and so the diocese of camden has done a lot of great work in bringing refugees and resettling refugees here in the united states And what we do is help the refugees uh, learn English. And so we have mostly adults in the class. Mm -hmm. There are lots of refugee families that have come the past couple years. And when the families come, the kids go right into school. And the kids we've seen do really good picking up English after a short amount of time, because they're thrown right into school. And they pick it up, and they do great. And for the adults, it's tougher. Um, For the adults, they have complicated schedules, they have family responsibilities, some working full-time, some are working more than full-time. And so we have our classroom open during normal times, about four days a week where adults can come in and meet, sometimes one-on-one, sometimes in groups, depending on what their needs are and what they're working on. And we can just help prepare them to um, use the English language when they're here.
1: Right. And that's such an important first step for anybody coming to this country. If you don't know the language, then everything else just becomes such a challenge. And you have really transformed that program uh, over the years. It's, it's remarkable. It. Vinny runs this amazing schedule. He you know, rallies volunteers, and all of our clients absolutely love him, they love to learn, and it's always a treat walking by the classroom, back when we were all at the office, of course. But Thanks so much, <laughs> it means a lot, Mary. Um, there, we have a lot of really great volunteers,
0: and we have a lot of families that constantly inspire us. Mm-hmm. You know, We see them, it takes a, a lot of courage to be in a new country, it takes a lot of courage to build a new life, and it takes a lot of courage as an adult to say, I wanna to come to this class and I wanna learn this language. Right. And their life's so challenging. They constantly inspire us. They really want to learn. And you know, as someone who enjoys teaching, I feel like this is such a great thing to teach because we're teaching these adults probably the most important thing they're ever gonna learn again.
1: Right, right? that's they're true. They're Americans
0: now, they're here in America. Right. And learning English is gonna open a lot of doors for them. And so it really motivates us and it continually inspires us.
2: Yeah. And it's a pretty, uh, a Catholic charity is a pretty multicultural crew you get in there. It's a lot of different countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you run off of some of the list of people that you're, you're working with? That's right.
0: There's Where's a lot of people from Syria and some from Iraq and Afghanistan and Colombia and Haiti and uh, Burma and let's see, Chile. We've had some people from Russia and Ukraine. So it's, it's a, a melting pot. <laughs> and um, it's, it works out really good that way you know because we have students who see each other see other students learning english from their different perspectives they're coming from you know it's not all one language they're learning so we may have one student from Haiti slowly learning English, as another student from Russia may be learning English. And they can sort of um, communicate to each other with English, with a new second language, and work across that. And it really helps um, us to build a sense of community and let the students see that there are other adults from other places in the world who are here and who are doing this. And we also um, have the blessing really of having uh, adults at different levels. Some are absolute beginners, some are a little more advanced, and some are pretty good at English already. And so when they're all together, and they're all from all over the world, it really gives us a, a chance to build a, a community, and let them see that they're not alone in this endeavor, and um, that they can sort of draw on each other for strength.
1: Yeah, and as a former ESL teacher, I know that it's a rewarding feeling when you see the progress that's that's being made.
0: Absolutely, And
1: yeah. so. You know, you, you serve as, a, as an ESL teacher right now, but can you give us a quick background of your education? Because this blew my mind after I oh, thought I knew Vinny, and then somebody dropped a bomb on me one day. But, so, <laughs> he's very humble about this, but I, I like to throw it in there as my fun fact.
0: <laughs> so, I uh, like Mike, I've always liked science. Um, and since, since I was a kid, I always wanted to be a scientist. I've always thought astronomy was great. You know, when I was a kid and I saw Jurassic Park, I wanted to be a paleontologist for a while, right? I would watch Star Trek and and want to um, learn more about outer space, and so I got to college and I was interested in science, and I decided to settle on biology, and went with biology, and that was for a couple of reasons. You know, like I had read a lot about the history of science and knew about that, and I knew, like, The early 20th century was a really great time for like chemistry or physics or something. And it was feeling like where I was in world history, biology was where all the real action is in science, right? The human genome was just being sequenced as I was finishing up high school. And um, I started to realize I don't mean to dump on astronomy. I don't want to annoy you. I no, don't no, no. you know, but I know the great Tyson's going to find me yeah. on Twitter and to me or something. But so, astronomy is great and it's exciting and it, um, it's amazing to study stars. But so much of it felt like, you know, a star. There's this ball of gas, twenty-five light years away, and there's some rocks around it, and that's really great, right? But on the other hand, we have like living things on Earth growing right. up right now, right? We have this amazing, like, rich complicated process of things constantly growing and reproducing and healing themselves and changing and there's so much to study right there. So I got really interested in biology and genetics in particular and so I did that as an undergrad and then did um, some graduate work in uh, cell and molecular biology at the University of Pennsylvania afterwards and that's where I earned my doctorate. So in the course of my science career I worked on human genetics a little bit and I worked on model organism genetics and a couple different things.
1: And oh, I failed freshman year biology in high school, so. <laughs> I...
2: <laughs> no, I feel very at home because the, when I'm not learning about astrophysics, I like genetics too. I'm actually, I actually met one of the heads of the Human Genome Project oh, uh, when I worked, was working for a law firm, actually about oh, 15 years ago. And I got to I got to be seated next to him, and all we did was talk, you know, genetics for the entire. It was it was fascinating. It was was outstanding. It? I can't remember his name. It's really uh-huh. annoying me. I'm uh-huh. going to have to go. He's making this. No, no, up. He I, was, didn't I was literally thinking. <laughs> would it be rude if I Google his name right now so I can actually <laughs> name drop him? From <laughs> Francis Collins. It might have been actually, mm-hmm. the wow. uh, but hey, it was a great experience and and I so I you know, as we talked about earlier on this podcast I have an affinity for science so you know I'm kind of curious you know with that sort of logical brain of yours is that something that's made helping people with language something that you think is a little easier?
1: Yeah, that's I, a good question. Yeah. I hope Thank so.
2: You. Um, let me
0: think about this. So you know what? Like I took the the punchline of my whole science career was. After I had done this work for a certain amount of time, I really loved it, I liked the science, I could have kept it up and been very happy. But looking back over my career, my favorite thing always was teaching. When I got to mentor a younger student, or when I got to be a TA to an undergrad genetics course, or when I got to mentor some uh, middle school students. So I, I learned through the science. The thing I love most about the science, I like doing it, but I like most communicating and explaining it to people. You know, in talking to someone, people would ask me questions about my work sometimes, and they'd ask a question, and I would i I I'd be used to say, say in my lab, where my boss asked me a question and I answered her, and a a, a lay person would ask me a question and I would be, I would say to myself, uh, that question is so off-base, I'm not sure even how to start to answer that. <laughs> that sounds terrible. But I was so yeah. deep into my specific work and I knew how to talk to other scientists about it. The layperson person I asked and I would ask me, I'd say, this is so far, I have to learn to think. Got to dumb yourself down. Not dumb down, but like I'm just so deep down this very specific path to learn to say, you know what, Um, I've got to know what I sound like to this person I'm speaking to. right? And I think language is the same thing. For example, Mm. in English, like a lot of languages, English is insanely complicated, right? Constantly changing all the time. As you can tell from listening to teenagers or whatever, right? It's always changing. And it's hard for us native speakers to keep up with it, too. And so people ask a question about language and I will realize there's so many things popping in my head for like exceptions and different cases where that means one thing or there's sarcasm sometimes and when you're teaching people a language you have to be able to teach them on the level they're at and say we'll teach them this for now and we'll teach them really how that word's used um, as they develop
2: further.
1: Yeah, that makes no, sense. That, makes that, p- that does make sense.
2: Although it does beg the question is how does, was it your love of teaching that brought you to, to Catholic charities?
0: Yeah, you know, I can't say. So, I told the story last time. My plan was, I was a stay-at-home dad, so I took a break from the science career to stay home with the kids. Me and my wife were both working a lot, and I knew I wanted to be a teacher in the future, so I started staying home with the kids for a while. And when my two youngest kids started preschool, I had some more time on my hands, and my family wasn't ready for me to go back to work yet. So I decided that I wanted to do something to help people volunteer on some project or something during the day. And so I just kind of wandered into Catholic Charities and said I'd like to volunteer during the day, what can I do? And they told me, well, the refugee program takes volunteers, and I went to the refugee program, and they said, well, the ESL classroom takes volunteers. So I started doing that, started volunteering more and more. So it wasn't my intention to come and be a teacher, but I know I'm drawn towards the teaching, I love doing that and stuff, and so maybe that's what made me want to throw myself into it more.
2: Hmm, okay. Yeah. The, uh, and you know, I'm kind of curious, what was it, like What like, how did you end up on Catholic Charities Radar? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I
0: told the story last time, but I'd be glad to tell it again, this is fun. Well we have so, new listeners, that's why we, 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 yeah. we do these. <laughs> no, things perfect, <laughs> <times>. perfect. <laughs> I, I'm ready to go, so I, When I was home with the kids, we listened to a lot of podcasts and stuff during the day, um, including Talking Catholics. I noticed you guys interviewed a couple of priests I was familiar with very early on. I think I found the the podcast through Twitter or something. And so one time you know, towards around the time when I was thinking of what should I do, what can I, where can I volunteer, what can I do with my time, you guys had Kevin Hickey on, who's the executive director of yes. Catholic Charities, <laughs> and he was talking about Catholic Charities, and I knew it was a great organization. I mean, mostly I knew it from uh, the work of this office, probably. I'd heard about it a lot from the Bishop's Annual Appeal videos, it seemed like you are doing great work there, and I'd read about it in the Catholic Star Herald, and I knew it was a great organization. And so Kevin Hickey was talking, and at the end, um, there's this question you guys used to ask all the time, where you would say, what's one piece of advice you would give people? in their careers or or something. And um, Mr. Hickey said that uh, he sees lots of applications for things and he has trouble connecting with people. Sometimes they're feeling connected with people when he just hears about their names or sees their resumes. And he recommended when you go in for a job somewhere, you should just um, try try to talk to the boss right away go right in there and talk to the boss so they can know who you are, remember you or whatever. Right. And so I said, okay, that's fine. So I came uh-huh. came to the conclusion to apply to Catholic Charities and I filled out my volunteer application and got my recommendations in order. And I, um, instead of emailing it, I brought it into the office and uh, I went to the desk where Anna was working, who I didn't know at the time, but I know now, and I said, my name is Vincent Mancuso, I'm here to volunteer. I handed her my volunteer application. She said, okay, and I said, and I'd like to talk to uh, Mr. Hickey, please. <laughs> and I know and this is a little strange, and, and she looked at me a little bit, and I said, well, I heard him on a podcast, and he said, if I want to work here, I should probably talk to him first. And she kind of um, very politely um, picked up the phone and made a phone call. You know. I really like podcasts, but I know not everyone knows exactly what a podcast
1: <laughs> right, is. Right, right. And
0: so this, you know, I just walking in off the street and this woman's like, I'm not sure what this guy thinks is going <laughs> on or what, what he's hearing in his head. And so she made a phone call. And uh, Mr. Hickey's um, administrative assistant, Rose, came out and she, who I know really well now, this is the first time I met her. Right. She came out and I was like, hi, I'm here to, uh, I'm gonna apply to volunteer and I'd like to meet with Mr. Hickey. And she was like, Well, he's in a, in a meeting right now, sir. Very, very friendly. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And so then I um, went home and then I came back for a volunteer evaluation and introduction, and when I came back that time, at the end of them showing me around, the woman who was giving me a tour said, oh, and uh, you can meet Mr. Hickey now. And I was so relieved, because if she didn't bring it up, I would have brought that up and said, <laughs> again, I need to meet with Kevin Hickey. And so. I uh, was marching to his office and I said hi to him and, and introduced myself. I didn't have much to say other than I'm volunteering and I heard on a podcast that <laughs> I, I should come and say hi to you. he was floored,
1: because he used to make fun of this podcast, oh, yes, remember? He did. He just... I hope he's listening now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And it's gotten some results, and here you go. Yeah. And yeah. That's the most baby boomer advice, and he'll appreciate this because I always make fun of baby boomers, but, you know, just march in there, resume in hand, and ask for the boss and shake his hand, you know? It worked out uh, here. I can't tell you how many times my dad has told me that, but <laughs> it worked out real well in this situation. You know, I don't
2: think, I. I we've had Kevin Hickey on the podcast many times, probably, probably our most I probably the guest we've had on the most times come to think of it. Um, but um, I don't think he realizes when it comes to employment how unique he is. We could do an entire podcast mm-hmm. just on oh, his, you know, on his yeah. hiring thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, we've talked about on this podcast several times that uh, he and I were interviewing Mary together. Oh. Um, I wasn't particularly impressed with her, but, and that's not true, actually I was very impressed with her, but. <laughs> no I, you weren't, Mike, I, I, no, it's I was. okay. <laughs> you were ranked two on the, we, we saw, a whole, saw a whole bunch of people we came to our top three. You were my number two. He had you as his number one. We, I wanted someone with a little bit more experience, but he saw something in you that I completely missed, and he was absolutely right because you brought stuff to the table that that, other, that person never would have. But he's also done it with so many of his other hiring practices, and not just his hiring practices, his volunteer yeah. people. Like I see more people who will come in through Catholic Charities as volunteers for things they didn't like that, were not what they planned on volunteering right. for. And then he'll see something in them and suggest them for another role, which they will then take. And then from time to time, he even ends up hiring them full-time because they sh- end up showing such great you know, right. ability. I th- he
1: has very good judgment.
2: He really does, but and I, in his case, I can't claim this for everybody in his case, I really do think oftentimes it's the Holy Spirit working f- through mm-hmm. him. Because that's what we'll say too. He, yeah. And I think he might be right because he keeps himself very open to new ideas and in this line of work you know I'm a boss you know it's difficult sometimes to decide who you're going to hire you know, I've learned a lot actually from from Kevin Hickey yeah. because of that and, and being kind of open minded and seeing beyond maybe what you what you first see. And so this is another example of the greatness that is Catholic Charities, Diocese of Camden, and its executive director.
1: We could have a whole Kevin series Hickey. of podcasts about yeah. the greatness of Kevin Hickey. But more importantly,
2: <laughs> people like Kevin Hickey and Catholic Charities are why we get to talk to right. people like uh, yep. Vinny right now. And it's a great place
0: to volunteer too because Catholic Charities has been very supportive from top to bottom of us running our program and finding the space for us. It's hard to find space to run these classrooms sometimes and giving us the resources and giving us what we need so we can keep doing this amazing work.
1: Yeah. Well, this is kind of shifting gears a little bit, but um, I wanted to, this is a topic that I feel like, I don't know if we've ever talked about on this podcast before, but last time I talked to you, Vinny, Uh, we had a conversation about it and you agreed to to talk about it but you mentioned that you're you adopted one of your kids and I didn't know that I've seen your kids before and I thought that was interesting but I never got the full story and you know I feel like that's something that's kind of sensitive and um, you know maybe some people aren't willing to talk about but you said you were open to chatting about it and of course that's you know something that is important to, to Catholicism. And sure. so we wanted to just ask you a few questions about it. Yeah, and sure. um, I get, so can you just tell us about your family? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, I know you have three start. kids and. That's right.
0: Yeah, so adoption's been a real um, blessing for us and thanks for inviting me on here to talk about this. So general disclaimer, of course, like with with an adoption, there's a, they call it the adoption triad. There's three different groups, right? There's, there's the birth family, mm-hmm. there's the child to be adopted, and the adoptive family, right? I'm an adoptive dad, so I can tell you what it's like to be an adoptive dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't speak for adopted children, I can't speak for birth parents and stuff, but I'll tell you sure. the best I can from uh, my perspective. Yeah. So my wife, um, Allison, and I, we met in college, and we were both very involved in the Catholic Center, and that sort of helped shape our relationship and our life. So we were very open to life. We wanted to have kids, and we talked a little about adoption when we were in college, um, but we planned on having uh, biological kids, however yeah. it's gonna work out. And so after college, we got married, and we started trying to um, start a family. And we were trying to conceive, and it wasn't super easy for us to conceive, but eventually we had um, our first child, my daughter Gianna, who's now 10, right. and a couple of years after she was born, we were trying to conceive again, and it wasn't happening. And we um, also uh, became pregnant, but lost the baby very early in the Aww. pregnancy. And so after that, we said, uh, we, we were talking to Allison's doctors, and they were saying to uh, go further, we could go to a fertility specialist. And we felt like adoption was a loving choice that we may be called to and wanted to explore, so we didn't go any further down the medical mm-hmm. route there, and we decided to just uh, go look into adoption. And so we spent, uh, next few months, going through the whole process of first prayerfully discerning if we wanted to adopt or not, sure. and learning about adoption and doing the reading, and doing the background checks and the paperwork and the financials. Must be such a
1: process! It's I a can big only process. Yeah, it was
0: about nine or ten months. Oh my you know, goodness. people sometimes call it their paperwork pregnancy because oh. it goes. Some,
1: that, that's almost on the
0: short end. But so we went through this whole process, wow. and so we got to the point finally where we were all set and ready to adopt. And then um, one day we got the call from the adoption agency that a woman who was uh, seven months pregnant was expecting a baby to be born in two months, and she would like to place the baby with us. And so we were thrilled about that. And then, um, that was on a Monday, then on that Wednesday, I went out to a meeting, and I came home from the meeting, and my wife told was sitting on the couch, and she looked a little concerned, and I was a little worried. And I asked um, what was going on, and she told me um, she took a pregnancy test. And so, my reaction, I'm not proud of this reaction, but it's a very human reaction. She yeah. said, I took a pregnancy test, and I said, why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and and so, yeah, so I pulled myself together, and I was like, it's not, it's not really uh, being a supportive husband here, yeah. so, so what did the test say? She said, I'm pregnant. Oh my And goodness. so, we were really thrown off at that point. So, yeah. the feelings we were having, honestly, were, um, we were scared and nervous about the whole thing. Sure. So, we had lost a baby before. This was very early in pregnancy. We weren't sure if this pregnancy was gonna work out or not. And it, it clarified things for us. when that happened, we became very afraid the adoption wouldn't work out. You know, we we weren't adopting at that point because we wanted another kid. We were adopting because we felt like God was calling our family in that direction, sure. and we were very scared that we might lose the adoption with this whole uh, this pregnancy that we had. Yeah. So um, Allison went to the doctor next week to confirm the pregnancy, and she did. And so then we told you know this is way too early to tell our parents, or our family, or friends. But we called up the adoption agency and told our, our social worker uh, we're pregnant and um, can you please let the, this um, possible birth mother know and they told her and she was um, fine with it and we were fine with it and so my son Ben, his birth mother gave birth to him in January of 2013 and my daughter Francesca, who was, um, who was our biological daughter, was born in July of that year and so those two are six months apart.
1: Wow. You know, that you know. must have been such a surprise! You know, you're I, I'm going even through like the...
0: it's so stressful too. Even right now, yeah. telling the story, I'm just like, oh, I can't believe I lived through that. And wow. um, yeah, it was a, it was so. At that point in November, when we found out Allison was pregnant, it was very early in the pregnancy, and we found out we matched up with a birth mother. I was thinking, We I had one daughter, Gianna, at the time, and depending on if um, Allison could carry the pregnancy to term, and depending on if the, the birth mother um, placed the child with us, I would either have one, two, or three kids nine months from that day, and I didn't know <laughs> that it, any of them. That is mind
1: boggling to Turned out to think be three, about. which
0: was great, right. but it was pretty nuts, yeah, yeah. Wow. And we also, you know, like it worked out so great for us, and so our, our two kids, Ben and Francesca, the two younger ones, Ben is six months older, They're um, roughly the same age and stuff, and it's working out really great. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're so surprised when that happened. and it's a little cringy for us, honestly, that it happened, too, because you, a lot of people say to us, oh, I heard of that happening before, and it does happen, but it's not the normal thing. No. People say this thing, yeah. people struggle with infertility, like, you know, if you just relax, maybe you've just had a baby, you could, like, oh, conceive your own imagine. or something. That's so cringe, and we we're frustrated with ourselves a little bit that it worked out like this almost, because now yeah. we're this story that we know people are telling, but yeah. this was right. God's plan for our family, and so it wasn't what we expected, but it's what we rolled with, yeah. which would be really great.
1: So that... Um so after your your wife gave birth, so then suddenly there's there's two new babies in the picture, and <laughs> that, that so, must have been a stress, plus your other It older was so daughter. funny, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we had
0: three, and people ask me sometimes, like, I've had other friends who have had multiple kids and stuff, and they ask these questions, like, what's the harder transition, one to two, or two to three? And mm-hmm. I'm not really like, qualified to answer, because my son Ben was born in January, they put my second child in my arms, you know, we, we went home, and it was, like, stressful sometimes with the baby and my three-year-old, but I kept telling myself, there's going to be another baby
2: in a couple months. Yeah, right. You can't be at right. your good send yet, because there's another one of these coming in just a few months.
1: Right. It's oh, my gosh.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm curious. You know, now now you're many years uh, sort of removed from it, and, uh-huh. uh, you know, you can, I think, listening to you, I think you're saying, you're, you're talking about this with a much clearer vision. Uh-huh. I have to imagine, at the time, uh, how, how little clarity did you really have, or would you say your your faith actually gave you some clarity? Yeah, our faith gave
0: us some clarity, obviously, because these sort of things just remind you that um, these things are in God's hands, whether you're biological children or your adoptive children. And um, we were just, I, maybe we were just holding our breaths a lot to see how it was going to go, but yeah. I was not, I mean, I was uh, nervous about the logistics of having that many babies and everything <laughs> yeah. at once, but we were not scared of what was gonna happen. We felt like, Ben was going to be our son and we felt like Francesca was going to come along and be our daughter and was going to work out okay. Yeah,
1: and how old are they now?
0: Right now, um, my oldest, Gianna, is 10 and my two little ones are both seven. Okay. Well, actually, you know what, in case Ben is listening, I have to clarify. Francesca <laughs> is seven, Ben is seven and a half right now. <laughs> These are very important things. Oh, it is. Francesca yeah. just turned seven yeah. like mm-hmm. last week. Mm-hmm. You know, they, So oh. for six months of the year, Ben is one year older than Francesca. Mm-hmm. For six months, they're the same number and for that that, that half the year they're the same number. Ben's very specific that he's oh. seven and a half and she is seven. Yeah. yeah.
1: So does, does Ben know? Have you talked to him about this?
0: Yeah, so our adoption is an open adoption, it's called. And uh-huh. so open adoption really is the norm right now. You know, so okay. historically, a lot of times when an adoption would happen, uh, the birth parents would place the child for adoption, the child would be placed with the adoptive family, and you'd know almost nothing about the birth family. And for a variety of reasons, that doesn't really um, happen that much anymore in the United States. Um, Some of the reasons is, you know, people started to learn that sometimes it's very difficult for birth parents to just, quote unquote, forget about it. Sure. Right, it's very helpful yeah. for birth parents to um, sometimes know what happens to this child. You know, I had one friend that I was talking to went through this whole process, and she's like a generation older than me. She adopted kids who are like my age, so she adopted them in like the early 80s. Mm. And it was a closed adoption, and one day when her daughter was a teenager, she got a, a call from the adoption agency saying the birth mother had asked if she could contact uh, her adoptive daughter. And so they began the process, and they sent letters. And the first time this mother talked to uh, the birth mother on the phone, the birth mother was crying and told her that she felt guilty and worried about her child every day of her life.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: Every day, the birth mother felt scared, not knowing what had happened to this child, sure. that she had loved and she had grown in her body and done this loving thing of placing it for adoption, right? right? And so people are learning more and more now that this is um, – for a lot of people, this works, you know? Um, and so open adoption, what does that mean? It, mean, it really, it means that uh, the, the adopted child knows something or has some contact with their birth parents, right? Yeah. And so that can be a whole range of things. In some cases, it's just letters. Yeah. In some cases, um, the birth parents may be like family members for the family. And so for us, we're very open about it all the time um, from the beginning. You know, like my daughter Gianna was about two when Ben was about to be born, and we just, you know, two-year-olds, they accept the world as it is, right, Right. so we told told Gianna, we said, well, um, you're gonna have a baby brother, and this nice lady here, the baby in her belly is gonna be your brother, and she was like, that's fine. And Ben has always known, his birth mother has been around a lot, so we, we first met her through the adoption agency. Um, before he was born, when she was about seven months pregnant. And then we met her with her a couple more times. We've met her, her parents and her brother. who are all like extended family members right now. We met them before. And then um, when Ben was born, um, Allison was actually there in the delivery room. and I was downstairs in the hospital when he was born. And we've been in regular contact with his birth mother all the way through. Wow. Um, she, even, so for example, my daughter had a birthday last week and we had a, a Zoom birthday party oh, where huh. like cousins and stuff called in and Ben's birth mother was there. Wow. And she called in too and hung out with the family and stuff. So
1: yeah, pretty much probably family.
0: And it's very, um, yeah, the kids all know. We talk about it and stuff.
1: So he, there was never a conversation where you kind of just broke this to him when he was old. He just kind of grew up under with this understanding.
0: That, yeah, that was our goal, hopefully, yeah. right? We wouldn't have to break it to him or, I it's not something to be ashamed of. I
1: you know? I yeah. pictured it as this difficult conversation that you one day have when they're, I don't know, 12, but you yeah. know. That's happened a lot
0: and it's happened yeah. for a lot of people, but um, in our situation, this seems to make a lot of sense. I mean, she loves him a lot and she's a great person. We love having her in all of our lives and it makes it easier for him to understand. You know, he knows it's nothing to be ashamed of on yeah. either end. Um, we all know, you know, as, so I said, we explained to my daughter the adoption thing. And, you know, as they're growing up, the kids are realizing it's not typical. Right, right To have a, right. have a birth parent around or to even uh, be adopted. But it's a thing that happens a lot. Um, yeah. And so, you know, like, we, she's on all of our lists for, like, uh, a Mother's Day. You know, we send cards to the grandmothers and the godmothers wow. and the birth mother. And one point early on, one of my daughters was saying, like, oh, Ben's got a birth mother, but I don't have a birth mother. My wife is like, oh. that's me, I'm your birth mother. Oh. <laughs> you got me. She's like, no, no, yeah. I would like another one, like a different <laughs> birth. Yeah, right, right. The,
2: uh, wow. you, know, I'm, you know, you may not be able to a- answer this question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway, because you, you you referred to uh, an adoption that occurred in the 80s or someone you knew that adopted in the 80s. I've gotten the impression of the last, particularly the last 10 or 20 years, that, maybe the last 10 years, that, when we were growing up, I'm a little older than you, and much older than Mary. Um, that um, there always seemed to be a stigma around adoption. That I really feel like the shame that was sometimes associated with adoption is has really dissipated. I mean, it's a completely different mindset. You know, most of us, when we think of adoptions, we think of teenage pregnancies and things like that. And you know, we've been seeing over the last couple of years that that people seem to be a lot more comfortable. One of two things, Uh, a lot more comfortable if they get uh, pregnant out of wedlock, keeping the child, um, as well as turning the child over for adoption. In your research and in your conversations with other people, do you get the impression that 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 is something, a reality? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, my wife and I started
0: learning about adoption a lot as we were going through the adoption process. We were reading all the modern literature on it, which is um, very oriented towards open adoption and has this... um, much less shame associated thing. But then, mm-hmm. so we were we were thinking like that. You know, we're going to the, the classes they prepare you for when you become an adoptive parent at the agencies and everything. And then we'd have conversations with people and you could see their thoughts were much more uh, old fashioned about it. You oh, know, yeah. it wasn't obvious to us until we started expanding. And we have to remember that sometimes too when we talk to other people because it's very natural for our family um, to talk about this. But this isn't something that people understand or experience. And I, I think you're right. I think the way people have thought about it, has changed. You know, I think in the past, unfortunately not everyone, but people would put a lot of blame on the birth mother or a lot of blame and shame on the child when um, the birth mother's making a very loving choice replacing a child for adoption if that's her choice to do. Yeah. And it's obviously not the child's the child's fault, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think there definitely was more shame associated with it before. But and you know what probably too in some cases, secrecy suggests shame. Right. Right? If that's we have that's a like, really good point. Yeah, if we have government policies and families are like, we don't talk about that. People pick up on that. Like right. if we don't if we don't talk about that, it's probably something shameful, right? right? And so things probably go together. And if it's something we're okay to talk about, you know, we have boundaries of course, people's privacy concerns and stuff in yeah. our family, but we're not it's not something we have to um down or not embrace you know because we don't we don't want to communicate to our adoptive children that that they should feel shame yeah right,
1: right.
2: i happen to be friends with uh, friends and acquaintances with a number of social workers uh, that work in the foster and and adoptive care uh, world and talking to them you know it's it's strange because uh, it's a completely bizarre circumstance i mean there's like you were saying that the the what, Pregnancy paperwork, right, or paperwork pregnancy. It, it, it is an incredible journey you have to go through, whether you're trying to adopt or, or through foster care or off, open your house up as foster care, like my wife and I did for for a period of time, um, or if you're going down in that ad- adoption route. Um, and each state's a little different each service provider is a little different there are nonprofits there are for profits i'm curious did you know when you were doing all of your research you know was there was there anything that was leading you in any particular area in terms of your uh, the manner in which you were going to adopt yeah there's so many choices right and i guess It's
0: different for everybody, right? There's no, especially in open adoption, there's no two adoptions that are exactly alike. There's so many choices to work through, right? Which is really overwhelming when you're starting. Um, And so we decided, the the first choice for us was like international adoption or domestic adoption. We decided domestic, we just felt like we were called towards that. And then to choose an agency next, right? Because different agencies do it different ways. And so we went with an agency called Bethany Christian Services, which was really great. They had an office close to us and um, we liked it because we liked the way they talked about adoption and you know, frankly, um, we're both Catholic. So this is a Protestant organization, you can tell it's a Protestant organization, but they were a Christian organization at least. And some of the agencies that talk about it in a very secular way, I-, I knew we'd have to answer questions about why we were adopting and what our family mm-hmm. um, dynamics were and I felt like I wouldn't know how to talk about that without talking about God and Jesus. Yeah. I would be able to sure. fill out the paperwork, why do you want to adopt without talking about God and Jesus? So we felt comfortable with, with um, Bethany, which we used. And um, yeah, it was. we learned about them. They seemed to be very, also this was important to us too, very focused on the birth parents or birth mother, depending on the situation. Um, we wanted a child, if that's what God wanted for us, but we also wanted to make sure we had an agency that had a good perspective on it, and really understood this was about um, uh, taking care of this child and the birth parents and that we weren't necessarily shouldn't be their top priority. You right. know, some agencies when you're like looking at the literature and stuff and you start getting all sorts of ads when you're naming mm. something on these lists, some of the agencies it felt a little like to be crass. It feel, felt a little like they were saying, give us money and we'll get you a baby. Oh, right? Geez. And that's not really what we wanted. We want something that felt more like, you know, if we want to help build families, right? And if God's right. plan includes you um, adopting, that'd be great, we'll do that. So we really like that. So the choices we went through, it's funny you mentioned that. So I think it helps to work backwards from what the agency tries to do to to um, birth, or what try, they try to provide for birth mothers. So if a birth mother comes in, sometimes a birth father comes in too, sometimes it's just a birth mother, and wants to place a child for adoption, she comes into the office and says, I'd like to place the child, and they say, okay, and they start with the paperwork, and once those processes are set, and they learn about her, they say, okay, we have... Four or five families ready to adopt your baby right now. And so they hand her these like homemade books. They're like eight or nine page like Word documents, the families made basically, where they show what their family's like. And then she gets to take these four or five books and spend some time with them. And if she really feels like her child may match in one of these families, then she goes and meets with the family and then she goes uh, ahead and places the child when the child comes. And so for them to get to that point where they have those books, you know, the adoptive parents had to be prepared and ready to go, right? So we went through this months-long process of all like the um, background checks and interviews and all sorts of things, and then you have to um, make your book. Before you do that, they don't want a birth mother to come in and choose a family, and then the family says, uh, no, we don't want this situation or whatever, right? So they have you go down this list of all the possible um, Situations a birth mother may come in with, so mm-hmm. they know: Is this family okay? If, if their profile, adoption profile, is shown to a birth mother, and so this whole list of things you can think about, right? They say: Is it okay if the child's a different race from you? Is mm-hmm. it okay if it's either gender? Is it okay with everything you possibly imagine? Is it okay if the birth parents are married, or if they're not married? Or is it okay if the birth mother's a smoker? Everything you possibly Gosh, imagine. You answer that all list these questions. Must be
1: <laughs> it's a very long
0: list, and you have to reflect a lot too, right? About what sort of situations are we willing to take on? Right? How right. open are we to this? So, and for each one of those things on the list, there's three choices. You could say, yes, that's fine. If someone comes in with that, show them my profile. You could say, maybe, which means if someone comes in with that, before you give them my book, give us a call, tell us the details, and we'll tell you if you should show that to this Mm -hmm. birth mother or not. Or you could just say, no, if someone comes in, don't even tell them about me, that's fine. And so, my wife and I, we took a very, you know, we're Catholics, we're open to life, and we were saying, well, you know, um, we're gonna be very open to this. And so we said yes for a lot, and we said we're gonna see what God's plan is for our family. We said maybe for a couple things, and there's only one thing we said absolutely no for on this whole list of like 100 things. The one thing we said absolutely no for was no twins. Oh! <laughs> that's a true story. I was we said, thinking, what We, could said, possibly you know, we prayed think? about it, we said God wants to be open, life, we're open to every situation we can imagine. Now in some capacity, But not twins, oh. a little bit, I know. But the oh. funny is we said no twins, and we get a match, and then we find out there's another uh, six months behind this one. So wow. God, God will decide what you will get. I know, yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> so yeah, we t- Oh
1: my God. There are lots of things
0: to think through the choices that we we learned. Um, God's plan wasn't our plan in that situation, right? Yeah. yeah.
2: That's very funny. It's funny, you you know, so we went through the foster care system a couple years ago as foster parents. And uh you know listening to you tell the story is the foster care system was exactly the same way we had the same thing lists of what would we what would we accept what would we would not accept you know very I wouldn't call them invasive conversations, mm-hmm. but very detailed conversations. You know, our home had to be checked. We need uh, we needed to meet with a social worker on a regular basis. Um, all of our backgrounds had to go into, you know, the bosses here had to write a letter for me. Uh, my wife's company had to do the same. We had to have medical uh, things wow. to make sure that we were actually healthy. We had to have psychological tests to make sure that we were not crazy. No, no guarantee we passed those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it, the, the only difference is, whereas you had a little bit of time to prepare, uh, when you're in the foster care system, you get a phone call and they say, um, we have a kid for you, can you take them in an hour? And wow. so you have to make that decision very quickly and sometimes there wasn't even necessarily time for Jennifer and I to, to reflect on it. Mm. Um, and we were the funny thing is working with the state is a, a little more mm-hmm. unique I suspect than working with uh, working with Bethany. Um, we we gave them our list as well, and we, we might have been a little less open to certain things, um, uh, usually health related things. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but one of the things we did say was like there was an age range and number of kids who were kind of specific on state of New Jersey never followed that once. We were getting, uh, would you like a 17-year-old to have an entire family wow. of kids? And, and that's not to say, you know, if we, if we, were, we weren't set for that. Like, our household wasn't set. For, like, our, our literally, our homes right. were not set for that. Our home was not set for that. Um, so we knew there were things we had to say no to. But it, it ended up becoming kind of frustrating because for us because, um, you know, we kept having to say no uh, just for logistical reasons. Yeah. And finally, a miracle happened, and we, we actually had this wonderful child named Stephen, uh, Stayed with us for about 14 months. It was a wonderful experience, that mm-hmm. I w- I would never regret. Um, except How old that
1: was he, Mike, when, when he, he came, came to us? To he was and two wife. and a
2: half years old. Mm-hmm. Didn't speak or had very limited uh, vocal skills. Um, but over the 14 months, we worked with him to to develop those, and he was a great kid. He really became a, a member of the household. Yeah. But then his now, now the other difference is well, maybe not completely different, but you know usually when kids entered the foster care system, something terrible has happened. In this case, uh, the both parents had had issues with drugs and he and his much older sister were taken out of the house. Um, but God bless them, they worked their butts off and they got in a much better place and uh, he was uh, allowed to go back with them. I have often said that uh, March 17th used to be one of my favorite days of the year yeah. and that ended up becoming my least favorite day of yeah. the year because it's always a day I remember when he went back to his family. but. I, I, I try to remind myself that as horrible a day as that was for me, um, as someone who had really grown attached to this kid, you know, A, we had offered him an opportunity to stay someplace that um, was beneficial for him. And two... Especially
1: during very important years. Yeah, exactly, during know. those really
2: formative years. Mm-hmm. And he had, his parents had the opportunity, because of that, his parents had the opportunity to, to get cleaned up and really do well. And, and God, God has really looked out for them. Um, you know, my wife, thankfully, has uh, remained close, uh, at least connected to his mother on, you know, Facebook and things like that, like yeah. everybody does nowadays. So we get to see him and see oh, that he's kidding. doing well, and, uh, you know, we get stuff from the family, everything. And so that's, but we, we actually kind of did the reverse. So. Uh, when he left the house household uh, he got a book uh, uh-huh. they said oh, they yes. always uh, they called it a life book uh-huh. put together a life book and give it to the child when they leave so they die. have something to remember of the time that they you spend because most times you don't keep any connection with a with a foster child when they when they mm-hmm. go back to their families right. but uh, but anyway I, I've always remembered that uh, like as a yeah. very positive experience and I'm glad that we had had that experience it's and I
1: bittersweet one though I mean it, it has is, to be very hard you said it's very sudden with the foster foster care yeah. system they call you that Day and you know, and then, sometimes they get and the taken last, away. That he, that was
2: right. It was within 24 hours. We got a phone call, and uh, thankfully, our social worker uh, was able to fight a little for us and said, "Well, uh, he can't be returned today. Can he be returned tomorrow?" So we had time to pack all the stuff up and, and things like that. But um, but that being said, you know, I, I tell everybody, you know, if you think that this is a path you are interested in going down, be it adoption to a state adoption through a through a Christian company or the foster care system consider yourself if you are open to it look into it it really is a very worthwhile endeavor um, you know we went down this road because we had one child it was a, it was we had difficulty conceiving early on and then sort of similarly in, in the years since so we, that's we kind of opened ourselves up to foster care and adoptive and adoption services um, but I tell everyone if you really think that that might be a possibility, go ahead and look into it. Um, the worst that'll happen is either you'll say no or they'll say no. Mm-hmm. But um, be open to it and you know, be open to, like you were, open to what God's will might be. Because as sure. you found out, you may not have a choice anyway. <laughs> uh, right, right. Right. <laughs> not exactly Irish twins as, uh, as I grew up learning about my father and his brother were 11 months apart. My grandmother always referred to them as Irish twins. Yeah. Um, but awfully close. That's right. Awfully we hear close. that phrase a lot Irish, Irish twins. twins. I'm like a little closer than that actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and Mike that must have been, you know, obviously very challenging for for you. Oh, um, yeah, it
2: was miserable. I was miserable for a long time. But I remember
1: when that happened. Yeah, and I was not happy I, about it. it was but, um, infor-
2: but I still always remember it fondly, and I yeah. still encourage and people. And you still
1: gave him you know, yeah, that yeah. wonderful experience. Yeah, what an amazing was, thing was, you
2: did for him. Yeah, yeah. and I, I try to remember it that way, and uh, there's still pictures of him up all around the house Aww. and stuff like that. We still consider him a member of the house. I pray for him every night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, well, I always look in on my son while he's sleeping and I say a little prayer over him and then I walk past the guest room where he where Stephen was at and I always say a little prayer for him and his family, and then I crawl into bed and I go to sleep. And then I usually trip over the dog, crawl over the bed, and <laughs> get
1: to it.
2: But, um, but you yeah. know, I, I hope the people who are listening to this, you know, we, we talk about being pro-life in the Catholic Church, and... It's
1: the most pro-life thing I it, think anybody it can do. It probably
2: is, to be tr- completely truthful with you, yeah. opening up your home to somebody else, whether it's for, you know, some... I, I don't know how to say this exactly. There is a certain selfishness to adoption, in the sense that you really do, you, you're you opening up your house to, because you want another kid, mm-hmm. quite frankly. It's rare that it's a selfless endeavor unless, you know, someone in your family dies and the kids come to, to live with you. Um, but so there is a certain level of selfishness to it, but it's such a wonderful opportunity and it's such a Catholic and Christian thing to do to open yourself up and your yeah. home to, to a new person. And yeah. it's probably. Quite frankly, the most Christian thing we, yeah. we can do is, you know, look, you know,
1: sure, yeah, and it's really, Vinny, I'm oh, sorry, were you going to say something? <laughs> um, has there been, you know, if there's one big challenge or misconception that misconceptions that people might have, is there any, you know, if you want people who aren't familiar with this process to understand one thing, is there any? I'm sure there's a long list. Yeah, but. So let me
0: think. Um, so I would say, you, you know what, I'm, um, you can totally do this.
1: <laughs> right, you can do this.
0: So I'm gonna, you know what, so yeah, Mike Mike was saying that it's good for us as Christians to do this. I feel like it's so amazing for our souls to have this experience mm-hmm. too, because I, I learned this thing about myself, my wife and I learned this thing about ourselves, which maybe intellectually understood, but when it actually happens emotionally, it's powerful and also a little scary too. So my first child was a biological child, and um. People say this thing, it's kind of cliche, but I think it's pretty uh, accurate. Where it's like when you have a kid, it's like your heart has left your body and is walking around. Mm. You feel so scary, vulnerable in a way to okay. love this person so much, right? And so then your head's around like, wow, my wife and I, our, our bodies can make these beautiful babies that I love so much. And then through adoption, you're given this child, in our case, by someone who's basically a total stranger. Mm-hmm. And I take this baby boy and I love him the same as I did my. My other daughter, mm-hmm. and, and you realize that God's built us in a way where we're capable of fully loving literally anybody, right? Anyway, we yeah. were a child. Yeah. Anyway, right. Ben was born, um, he's in a different state than we were. He's, uh, he's Korean, he's a different race than we are. Anyone, any baby. I'm capable of loving like a father, it turns out. And that's a really, really powerful Christian yeah, yeah. thing to experience and also kind of a scary thing, too, because anyone you see on the news living anywhere, you could have loved that person like a child, yeah. I learned as a parent, right? It's not just your biological kids. You could love anyone that much. And that's a really powerful thing for people to learn. And um yeah, about to choke up it. just listening to
1: this. <laughs> that, I oh, never, I never even Mary thought Christ. of it that way, but that's... That's so true.
0: I wasn't planning on that exact feeling going with that, but I had that realization. I said, anyone, yeah. I, my God built us with these hearts capable of even loving a total stranger yeah. as your child.
1: Do you ever get weird looks from people or they find out, <laughs> yeah, wait a probably. minute, six months? Yeah. What's oh, going so on here? I've had
0: experience a couple times, obviously, especially when I'm out with the babies or whatever, and so one of them people were like, oh, um, uh, are they are they uh, twins? And I'm like, oh, not quite. I'll say, that's my first line. I know it's uh. I'm I was like, oh, not quite. And they're like, oh, Irish twins or something. And like, were they like like 10 months apart? I'm like, actually, they're six months apart. Then I go, one, 1,000, two, 1,000. <laughs> or oh, an adoptive I family. Because you can see, everyone's face goes through the same thing where they're like six months apart. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, the
2: wheel doing spinning. the math and they're like <laughs>
0: looking at them and like, whatever. And then I say, we're an adoptive family. Like, oh,
2: okay. And then yeah. if they ask, I answer more questions and stuff than that. Yeah. yeah. It is a great opportunity. It's always a great learning opportunity. That was what I said, because, you know, we suddenly had a two and a half year old. It was That's nothing right. but questions like, "What is That's right. What's going this... on here?" Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: And he he actually. It's, the funny part was, um, my son is blonde haired and blue-eyed, and I'm dark-haired and dark-eyed. My wife is dark-haired and dark-eyed. The, our our foster child, brown-haired, brown eyes. The <laughs> only one that looked like us was the one who didn't look like us. Uh, Jack so was the one that looked like he was adopted. But um, uh. but you know, I. I just going back to what I was saying before, don't be afraid of these opportunities. Don't be afraid of anything. I I, I always worry when I I don't worry. I feel sad for for people when um, they say, "Oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready." Oh, I'm not sure. And and there is a truth to that. You do want to be ready for it. But I tell people like, don't don't let the fear keep you from an opportunity like this because yeah. you'd be amazed at what you're capable of mm-hmm. right. so uh, as we're wrapping up uh, Vinny thank you very much for coming on and now yes. we have a new adoptive expert we appreciate <laughs> right. that, you know. and I'm so
1: glad to hear your perspective because it's something I feel like we just don't hear about that much but Thank you so much for being so open and um, and for joining us. Great. And you too, Mike. Thank you for too, sharing your experience. That was great,
2: Mike. Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate that. And thank you for setting this whole thing up, Mary, and for coming in today. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening. And we will be back again next week.